Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody, it's that time of the week, and thank you for joining us here on Table Talk at the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show, the longest-running weekly Philly sports podcast show in the world. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. We have got a great interview coming up. Last week, we were talking about the upcoming NFL season. Guess what? We're going to be talking about the NFL season again this week on Table Talk. It's an exciting time. Training camp is going to be starting for so many teams in just about a week. And we've got to get into this week specifically some quarterback talk. And it is a pleasure for me to have on the line once again from InsideThePylon.com. He's writer and contributor there, Mark Schofield. Mark, thanks so much for joining me this week, man. Jeff, always a blast to be with you, my friend. Great to be back. And um, I do want to thank you here at the outset. Um, you readjusted your recording schedule around me reading to the kids at bedtime. I understand. They don't want to miss that one. So, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't want to miss that one because then it throws the whole night routine into, you know, off kilter. So it I does. appreciate you adjusting the schedule for me. Hey, no problem. Hey, listen, we've got kids. We've got very, very patient wives. So we, 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 we have to tend to cater to that a little bit every now and then. Right, Mark? <laughs> That, that, that's exactly right. You, uh, you have to make the adjustments when necessary. Otherwise, I'm not going to be on this show in a couple of weeks because I'll be told no. Right. Like, I'm exactly. I schedule an assistant. <laughs> exactly. So if you haven't followed Mark yet on Twitter, do so at Mark Schofield. And again, head on over to InsideThePylon.com. Great football coverage, great prospect coverage throughout the year. Um, Mark, wanted to bring you on because I wanted to get into some quarterback talk here with you before the NFL season starts. And specifically, really want to get into some of these rookie quarterbacks with you right off the bat here. I mean, we know the names. Baker Mayfield, drafted by the Browns. Sam Darnold, drafted by the Jets. Josh Allen with the Bills. I mean, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson probably aren't going to be starters this year. But I wanted to get your take on those rookie quarterbacks who are going to be thrown right into the flames, you know, right into the fire pit. Mark, you and I have talked before on this show about rookie quarterbacks uh, who have who have to start from day one, and it's usually not a pretty situation for those gentlemen. <laughs> so who do you think going into the season, who do you think is going into the best situation from a rookie quarterback perspective, and, and, and who's going into a no-win situation with regard to this crop of rookie QBs? 
You know, I, I think there's a couple of ways to look at that, and we can sort of start with the the guys I think are in the best spots, and that's Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, and, and they're in the best spots for different reasons. Oh, okay. I think when you look at Darnold with – you know, him landed with the New York Jets. He's got two potential mentors with him right now in Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater, who are mentors for different reasons. With Bridgewater, it's, you know, he's coming off of a horrific knee injury that, you know, might not just have ended his career, but could have cost him his leg at one point, you know. And so now he's coming off of that. So he's got obviously a unique perspective that he'll bring to, you know, that quarterback room and perhaps to Sam Darnold himself. Then you look at Josh McGowan, who's coming off a career re- year for himself as a passer last year before he got injured. It was easily the best year of his career statistically. Yeah. But he's also accepted the fact that this is near the end of the line for him. And he's been out saying the right things. You know, if I look back on my career and five years from now, you know, Sam Darnold's in the Pro Bowl, I'll have done my job. And so I think Darnold's coming into a great situation where you've got two guys that have played at the high level, one's coming off a career year. Either of those guys could be the starting quarterback for the Jets. There's going to be no pressure to get Darnold onto the field. Now, with Rosen, I think you have perhaps the perfect mesh between a quarterback and an offensive coordinator. Because one of the knocks on Josh Rosen when he was coming out was that he was perhaps a millennial. He was too smart. He was the guy that wanted to know more. He was the guy that needed to know deeper passing concepts and things like that. Now he's getting paired with Mike McCoy, his new offensive coordinator, who the knock on him was at times his offense was too complex. And so I think you put that together, I think it's the perfect marriage of rookie quarterback and offensive coordinator. And similarly, he's got Sam Bradford in front of him. He's got Mike Glennon in front of him. There's going to be no pressure to really get him onto the field. I think Rosen, if he sees action early, He'll be fine. He was my quarterback one in this draft, so I wouldn't be worried about it. But I think those two guys are in really good situations. There's that middle tier next, Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, where there's not going to be real sort of expectations to get them on the field right away. They're both going to be behind established quarterbacks, but there's levels of excitement to them perhaps getting onto the field at some point, particularly I think with Lamar Jackson. There are a lot of people, even in Baltimore, not just outside Baltimore, very excited to see them take him take the field. So I think those guys are in pretty good situations. I wouldn't say they're as good as the two guys I just mentioned, but they're in good spots. The guy in the worst situation, I think, is Josh Allen. And it's unfortunate because he's the guy that myself and others believe probably needs the most work, needs the most seasoning, needs the most refinement, needs the most time on the bench. But he's likely the guy that plays the most as a rookie. Matter of fact, if you look at, you know, whether it's Bovada or other websites that have over-unders on rookie quarterbacks and how many starts they make, his is the highest line because the expectations are he's going to start the most games. He's not going to, you know, Nathan Peterman and Najee McCarron aren't keeping him on the bench for long. And so Josh Allen is going to have to go out there and play sooner rather than later. And when you look at the rest of this Buffalo offensive unit, Outside of LaShawn McCoy, who's facing his own issues right now, we don't know how that situation is right. going to pan out. There's not a lot to look at. The offensive line is a mess. The receiving unit is a mess. I mean, Charles Clay, their tight end, might be their best receiving threat. Oh and that's not gosh. saying much. <laughs> yeah. And so that's a tough situation for a rookie quarterback who, depending on who you ask, needs, if not the most, almost the most amount of work out of all of these guys. Unbelievable. I just... I, 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 
I just can't believe an organization like the Buffalo, well, I say like the Buffalo Bills, but I just can't believe any NFL organization would just throw a guy basically to the wolves like they're going to be doing with Josh Allen. I just, I can never get over that. I mean, the Raiders used to do that all the time, Mark. And yeah. I just, and- it amazes me that NFL organizations still haven't learned. And listen, it's tough to hit on rookie quarterbacks right out of the gate. It's tough. We know this, but it just amazes me that yeah. NFL organizations still do this. Yeah, they still do. And, you know, to Buffalo's credit, I think, you know, bringing in A.J. McCarron was a smart move. It gives you something. Um, it was clear that the Tyrod Taylor situation was not going to work out. So I understand why they moved on from him. They do have Nathan Peterman in place. So it's not like they have to, yeah. you know, start him week one. True. But when you look at the way they address the other positions, you know, I'm all about, I, I'm, I've said this before in my, you know, lots on Patriots podcast and elsewhere. I'm fully aboard team healthier quarterback. I mean, I'm a new England Patriots fan and I see how much the Patriots help Tom Brady, both in the way to design plays and how they sort of address pieces around him. Maybe not to the extent the Patriots fans would like. I mean, they always talk about going out and getting like a Larry Fitzgerald or their next Randy Moss type thing. So they don't do things like that, but they do little things to help Tom Brady. So I'm all about helping your quarterback. It just seems like when you're the Buffalo Bills and you have this expectation that you're going to draft a rookie quarterback early and everybody knew that's what they were going to do, do more to help him in terms of getting pieces around them. It just seems like they haven't done enough of that yet. Now, they might have a long-term plan. Maybe they trade one of the other two quarterbacks. Maybe they move LaShawn McCoy, although, I, again, who knows what they could get from yeah. LaShawn McCoy right now. Yeah. But it, it, maybe there's another shooter sort of drop there. But right now, it just seems like they haven't done enough yet to sort of help the guy that they expect to be their quarterback for the next seven, eight, ten years. Yeah. Well, one quarterback I can't wait to watch this coming season is going to be Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's I am going to be fascinated to see what he does this coming season, Mark. Everything we know about him from his athletic standpoint uh, leads me to believe that Andy Reid's probably licking his chops right now, but even more than his athleticism, he has the mental acumen and prowess to be an effective quarterback in this league. It's been widely reported. I mean, he's a great football mind from what we have come to know so I'm wondering how effective you think Patrick Mahomes is going to be in his first year as a starter here in the NFL I think he'll be very effective and, and Jeff your, your point about his, his mind his mental acumen it's a great one and I remember when we were doing the inside the panel.com draft guide you know two years ago so not this version but the previous one where we you know where we studied Mahomes you now I was chatting with Ted Wynn formerly of ITP, now over at the Athletic San Francisco, who had studied Mahomes for us. And he basically said, look, Mark, his playbook in the NFL is probably going to be easier than what he was asked to do at Texas Tech. Because, you know, Cliff Clinsbury, a former quarterback himself, put so much on his plate in terms of options and conversions and different routes based on different coverages and things like that. It, it was basically like you could say an air raid offense on steroids with all the stuff that he was asked to do at a quarterback position. Now he's stepping into this offense. You know, you think of Andy Reid, you think of your traditional West Coast passing game, but they have put themselves in position to transform their offense into West Coast on steroids is the way I'd like to call it because you've got Tyreek Hill, a vertical threat. You've got Travis Kelsey, who's a vertical threat at the tight end position. They draft Patrick Mahomes, and the expectation was they're going to be more aggressive going downfield. And we even saw some of that last year from Alex Smith. 
you know, known to be captain checkdown, known to be the guy that's going to be super conservative with the football. He was one of the best deep ball passers in the league, at least through the first, you know, 8, 10, 12 games of last year's season before they get a little bit conservative near the end and into their playoff game against Tennessee. But I think this is going to be a fascinating thing to watch develop because Mahomes will make mistakes. He's a very shall we say, confident quarterback in his right arm. He will attempt some, I'd say, audacious throws. And, you know, many times he'll, you know, complete them for big plays. He might make some mistakes. He will make some mistakes. But this is going to be a fun offense to watch. And, you know, there are a number of sort of second-year starting quarterbacks that are going to make this upcoming season fascinating between Mahomes, Trubitsky, you know, Deshaun Watson coming back from his injury. And he could throw, you know, kind of throw Garoppolo into that mix now that he's now entering his second season as the guy for a team. So those guys are going to make for some fascinating storylines as we get into this season. Well, last week, Mark, I was talking to uh, Ryan Ducarm, your colleague at InsideThePylon.com. Right. Uh, we're talking about Deshaun Kaiser uh, and that trade that was made with the Packers. Uh, they acquired him, and we were talking about what kind of value he is going to potentially bring to the Packers in the future. I mean, I've been thinking about this all week. I've been reflecting on my conversation with Ryan uh, from the Table Talk show last week, and I wanted to get your take on this particular trade that the Packers made with the Browns. I mean, might Deshaun Kaiser, might he actually be the heir apparent in Green Bay after Aaron Rodgers decides to hang it up? What are your thoughts? It's possible, but you know, before diving in, shout out to my boy Ryan, at <laughs> yes. Ryan underscore Ducon on Twitter. He's you know, one of the guys that I'm just so lucky to work with over at ITP on a daily basis. Ryan does so much for us. He's, you know, such a such a hard worker for us over at ITP. I think the world of him. And I think it's a very interesting point because when you sort of look back over the past, say, three years of Kaiser's NFL career, you know, when he was coming out of Notre Dame, you know, my thought on him was he needed to go to an environment where he could sort of learn to love to play the game and the position again. Because we all can point to those moments when he, they would make a mistake in Notre Dame or he would throw an interception, he would even miss a throw. He comes off the field and he's got Brian Kelly just screaming at him, just screaming in his ears. And there are some quarterbacks that, not all quarterbacks are the same. Some quarterbacks need to be handled differently. And I know this from personal experience where if I made a mistake and I had that kind of reaction on the sideline, I would then play the rest of the game looking over my shoulder. So one of the things I wanted for Kaiser when he came to the NFL was to find an environment where he could have that situation, that kind of relationship with a coach. And I hoped he would have found that with Hugh Jackson. But then you looked at how he was handled last year. And I, I always come back, Jeff, to that, that game against the Jets when it was a 3 nothing game late in the first half and he, he had, Kaiser had the Browns in the red zone and in a first or second goal situation, and he threw a really bad interception in the red zone. And Hugh Jackson pulled him. He yeah. pulled him of a 3 nothing game. <laughs> yeah. And the only message that sends to a young quarterback is, we're losing by a field goal. I mean, we could, just, we could get one good punt return in this game is a tie game, but I still don't trust you in this, in this situation. I mean, that's how you ruin quarterbacks, to borrow a phrase from the great Matt Waldman. That's how you ruin them. And so he needed to get out of that environment. Maybe now he will finally be in a situation where he's, you know, he's with Mike McCarthy, who's you know quarterback guy. He's behind Aaron Rodgers, perhaps the best quarterback playing the game right now, at least in terms of pure talent to play the position. And he gets a chance to just sit back, relax, and learn to love playing the game again. This could be finally the spot for him where 
He gets a couple of years to sit, to watch, to learn, to absorb from Aaron Rodgers. Would it surprise me if he ends up being the next guy? Not at all, because he still has that talent inside of him. He just needs the right environment to bring that out of him. Yeah, I think that, I think it's like that with a lot of quarterbacks, and we've talked about that it over is. the years here, Mark. And I, I find it amazing what you were just talking about with the Browns, with Hugh Jackson, is that you know it really might be Hugh Jackson that's stinking things up for the Cleveland Browns at this point. And of course, they have a long history of stinking things up, but really, Hugh Jackson doesn't really seem to be helping a lot of things on this Browns team. No, no, he he doesn't. And, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and just dump on a coach, but right, it's easy right. <laughs> to do in this situation because you look at the track record over the past couple of seasons. You look at how they handled Deshaun Kaiser last year. You look at and you read the stories coming out about the Sasha Brown situation and how that went down, how they tried to trade for A.J. McCarron and Sasha may have, you know, scuttled that at the last minute. I mean, it has some you know, almost spy level intrigue to it coming yeah. out of, you know, <laughs> everything we're seeing out of the Browns in this organization. Yeah. They bring in Todd Haley, who has been a head coach before. So you wouldn't surprise anybody to see Haley become the head coach at some point this season. So they start 0-6. And so Hugh Jackson has pressure on him. It makes you wonder how they're going to handle the quarterback situation this year. If they start 0-2, do they bench Tyrod Taylor? Does he try to make some something happen with a you know, Baker Mayfield, I don't know. And that's, that's kind of the wild card with the Baker Mayfield situation. Does he get thrown to the walls early because Hugh Jackson needs to make a spark and save his job? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be very interesting. But of course, though, Mark here, being a Philly sports podcast show, we follow the NFC East very closely here. And we have a new quarterback in the mix with Alex Smith in uh, Washington. Dak Prescott, even Eli Manning, you know, they're looking to have some bounce back seasons here. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are with regard to NFC East quarterbacks. Um, How would you rank each quarterback from strongest to weakest here in the NFC East? Well, I I think, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on a Philly talk show. I'm not just saying this because he was my boy coming out of North Carolina State, but (laughs) it's hard to look past Carson Wentz as QB1 in this division right now. Right, right. You know, I, I'm just ranking the starter right here. If I want to throw Nick Foles into the mix, that's, you know, an interesting <laughs> discussion for QB2, perhaps. Right. Um, but just good look at the stars. I think you go Wentz, number one. Obviously, we don't know about him coming back from the knee injury. Peter King made his return to, you know, the column world today. You know, his debut piece, Football Morning in America over at NBC Sports. And he talked briefly with Doug Peterson. They're, it's, they seem optimistic about him coming back for week one, and that would be great to see. So I think Carson's one. I think you look 2A and 2B, I have Dak and then Alex Smith. And again, that's just ranking these guys right now. I give Dak the nod just because do you look at the body of work from Alex Smith? He did get more aggressive times last year. He did sort of perhaps almost take that leap beyond the conservative nature that we saw. But then when you look back at that playoff game, you look at how he, I don't want to say he turtled, but he missed some opportunities late in the game against Tennessee that could have iced that game as as he's still sort of hesitant on Alex Smith. So I'd say, you know, almost by default, you know, that puts Dak at QB 2A, Smith at 2B, and then, you know, there's Eli Manning bringing up the pack. Now, that being said, I think Manning's in a position to have that kind of rebound type year this year. They'll get Odell Beckham back. They bolstered the offensive line a bit. They bring in Solder from the Patriots. They draft Will Hernandez, the baller from UTEP, put him in at left guard. They add Saquon Barkley. Their one game looks to be improved. Evan Ingram, I think he's going to make a nice leap here in year two at the tight end position. Yeah. So yeah. you can see a nice kind of bounce back from them where men might put up some impressive numbers to get them into the playoffs. Probably not, but I think they'll be a much more improved team. 
All right, very good. Two more questions for you, Mark, and uh, just want to get into some general teams and where you think they're going to uh, kind of be this season in terms of who you like um, and who you might not be too keen on here as training camp is right around the corner. So, uh, what what teams do you think are maybe a little bit too overhyped heading into this season? I mean, there are a couple of teams you can point to, uh, at least in terms of the hype right now probably being a little bit higher than might be warranted. I mean, one might be Houston. I mean, I think there's a level of excitement about Deshaun Watson coming back. There's a level of excitement about, you know, that team perhaps making a leap in the AFC South this year. But I think we do have to sort of pump the brakes on that just to see how healthy Watson is. And again, you know, we typically see a little bit of regression in quarterbacks from year one to year two because teams get a full season or at least a half a season of game film on Deshaun Watson. They'll have understood his tendencies now. They'll have a better sense of what he wants to do when he's back there. They'll have a better sense of how Bill O'Brien wants to use him. So, you know, Houston's a team I kind of want to pump the brakes on. Similarly, San Francisco's a team that people are really excited about. I yeah. still want to see a yeah. little bit more of the body of work from Jimmy Garoppolo before I'm fully going to buy in. You're seeing, you know, power rankings pieces and quarterback rankings pieces have a Garoppolo is saying the top five ahead of guys like Carson Wentz. And like, <laughs> yeah. Let's slow down just a little bit. I mean, yeah. yes, he, he was fantastic at the end of last uh. season. He looked great, looks the part. Let's see it for more than a couple of games here before we fully buy in. And then Pittsburgh. I mean, obviously there's excitement about Pittsburgh coming into the season, but the levy on Bell situation is going to have to play itself out. It seems like they could reach a deal, you know, one sitting here right now as we're recording this, you know, they couldn't come to terms on agreement. seems like this is going to be his, his last year as a Steeler. Roethlisberger's always grumbling about something. Now it's grumbling about helping <laughs> Mason Rudolph. Right. And so you just get the sense that this might be one of those seasons that sort of, it could fall to pieces. Will it? We don't know. But because of that uncertainty, I, I think there's a chance that it could. All right. Well, on the opposite side of that, Mark, who do you think we should be keeping our eyes on this year? What teams are, don't you think are might be getting enough attention? Well, I think there are two teams that are going to rebound from poor season. Now, will they get themselves into the playoff mix? Perhaps or probably not. But I think they're teams that people should at least keep in mind as we start to talk about under-hyped teams. And that's Chicago and the Giants, like we were just talking about. Mm, you know, okay. Two teams that I think they're going to look much different on offense. I think when we're going to look, look at the New York Giants this year, when you look back over the arc of Eli Manning's career, he had his best sort of numbers in terms of offensive production when he was with Tom Coughlin, more downfield passing game. And that's kind of what I, I'd expect him to sort of look like under you know, Mike Shula coming over. That was what they were doing down in Carolina. So I'd expect more of a return to that, getting away from the more West Coast stuff they were doing under Ben McAdoo. And now when you look at, you know, Trubisky getting a chance you know, with Matt Nagy, an offensive mind to play caller. Whoa, that's a big deer in my backyard right now. Yeah. Kind of maybe jump. Oh, Apologies for that. But <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you get Matt Nagy coming in, you know, an offensive mind and head coach. It's going to be a similar type of thing. They're trying to replicate what we saw last year with Sean McVay coming into the Rams, an yep. offensive mind and head coach to work with Jared Goff. So I think that's a team that's going to, you know, will they win five, six games? Maybe, maybe even steal a seventh game. But I think they're going to be much better, really be poised to make a leap in the, the following season. But one team that I think is not just going to have their eyes on the playoffs, but perhaps making a run in the playoffs, and that's Tennessee. You know, I think Very when you look at how mm -hmm. Tennessee sort of, you know, the way they won that game, you know, in Kansas City last year, I think that's a nice build-in block type of thing. Now you, obviously, you do have a new head coach, Mike Vrabel, 
But I think he's put himself in a position where he can hit. It's going to be like the Belichick model. You know, he, that's what he learned from. So he's going to have his eyes and his hands all over the defense. He's going to let Matt LaFleur just run the offense. And LaFleur started under the aforementioned Sean McVay. That's who he was learning from the past couple of seasons. They're going to do a lot with space and concepts. I think they're going to really revitalize Marcus Mariota's career. I love the addition of Deion Lewis. I think it's going to be a nice sort of one-two combination with Lewis and Henry out of the backfield. I think Corey Davis is going to take a nice step ahead now in his second year as a receiver sort of over the top. I still like what they do with Delaney Walker. And so I look at Tennessee as a team that might really make some noise here, not just in the AFC South, but perhaps make it a run deeper into the playoffs than they did last year. I think it's interesting, Mark, how we're seeing a lot more teams, and maybe I'm just noticing it right now, where you have, say, um, like Mike Rabel, who is specifically going to be handling the defense. He's going to tell the offensive coordinator, go do your thing. You know, we see that with Sean McVay with regard to uh, the offense. He tells the defensive coordinator, just go do your thing. We saw it with Doug Peterson this past year, well, the past two years, where he's told Jim Schwartz, you know, just go do your thing. I'm wondering if we're seeing that more in the NFL with coaches where they're specific to either the offense or the defense, and they're going to let their coordinator say, hey, just, just do your thing. I don't care. Just do your thing. Do you think we're seeing more of that? I think we are seeing more of that because, you know, we're getting to the point where a lot of these coaches, you know, they're so, for lack of a better phrase, they have so much such tunnel vision with respect to their specialty yeah, and what they yeah. know where they're just like, look, this is what I'm going to take care of. I don't, I'm, when the defense is on the field, I'm not even going to be watching. You know, my, my, I'm going to have my back to the field because I trust my defensive corner. I'm going to take care of the offensive stuff or whether it's a defensive-minded head coach when the offense is on the field. Look, you run it. Don't even bother me unless it's, you know, punt or kicker or whatever on fourth down. I trust you can handle it. And I think that's that's part of the, you know, the specialization. We see so much specialization in the NFL on the field. It makes sense that there's going to be similar specialization with the coaches themselves. Yeah, yeah. All right, again, we're talking to Mark Schofield from InsideThePylon.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. And Mark, actually, really quick before we let you go, last time I talked to you, buddy, was January 29th. And you and I did our Eagles versus Patriots Super Bowl 52 matchup, my friend. Oh, no. It was just no, – I, I honestly just went back just to see when it was. I wasn't even planning on talking to you about it, but oh, my gosh. <laughs> I couldn't believe – I honestly remember thinking during that interview and during that show that you and I did, I'm like, there's no way the Eagles are winning this thing. <laughs> there's just no way this is happening. <laughs> and Because I, I remember talking was- to you about what it felt like, and I just thought I'd never feel – like that <laughs> yeah and you know hats off obviously to the eagles and, and all of you guys eagles fans <laughs> i mean you. it's a it's an incredible experience you know it's an incredible feeling to experience that it and is. You know, yeah. all i keep coming back to all i keep coming back to is that strip of brandy by brandon graham and how i told you and anybody else that would listen dude you excuse me the most yep was them kicking brandon graham inside and kicking that's, Bra- that's exactly what happened against the guard that you oh, why, yep. why am i forgetting his name oh geez uh shack mason shack mason yes you specifically said brandon graham against shack mason is what i am absolutely petrified of and you said it january 29th just a few days before the super bowl and my friend you were absolutely yeah. correct in how that made a difference <laughs> yeah it did but again congratulations hats off to thank you, you know, sir all of the eagles fans <laughs> it's a tremendous tremendous thing and i will say this jeff i listen to this obviously look i'm a patriots fan and you know it, it stings when your team loses my parents were over um you know we had 
you know, my parents were over and my wife and I were watching the game with them. And when it came time to say goodbyes after the end of the game and the way it went down, I remember sitting in the foyer with my my parents and my wife and my dad. He's like, this one actually, it's okay. Because we like Philly. It's okay that Philly won this game. And I think, you know, maybe not all Patriots fans felt that way, but, you know, the ones I was with that night, we certainly felt that way. It was good to see. It was I, I, that. That's really great to hear, Mark. And uh, but my buddies and I, I know our listeners have probably heard the story a few times. How we were at our, uh, I was watching it with some buddies of mine at our alma mater up at Penn State, and we're watching up there at a bar. We actually got to the bar we were at at two o'clock to make sure we got a seat right in front of the television. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so we were we, we were feeling pretty good uh, by the time the game started, uh, pacing ourselves. But uh, there were a few Patriots fans, believe it or not. I was actually kind of kind of surprised in Central Pennsylvania that there were a few Patriots fans. And there was a little ribbon going on throughout the game, but right after the game, they came right over, shook our hands, and said, you know what, you guys deserve this one. And it it was really nice. So, you know, I think in situations in games like this where you have championships on the line, specifically for us Eagles fans, never having won one before it being that much more special and just kind of the, just the, uh, the give and take in the back and forth that you have. And at the end of the day, we all love sports and we all, we all just enjoy this entire realm that uh, we just dive into all the time. So anyway, I just wanted to tell that story because, you know, there were some pretty cool Patriots fans over there. They, I think they bought us a shot or something afterward too. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad to hear we we're not all bad. Believe me, loyal <laughs> listeners of the, yeah. the table talks over here. We're not all bad. <laughs> it's same with Philly sports fans. We're not all bad either. But anyway, uh, Mark, I, Mark, I love bringing you on. Love talking football with you, and I am really looking forward to talking with you down the road once this season gets started, my friend. You got it, buddy. Always great to be with you, Jeff. And anytime you need me, you know where to find me. It's always great having Mark on the show. Man, I wish I could have talked to him for another couple hours about this coming NFL season. I mean, I would have loved to have gotten into some college prospects with him as well. Just didn't have the time. But we are definitely going to have Mark on again down the road. Love talking college football with him. Uh, quarterback prospects that are going to be coming out in the NFL. We're certainly going to do that down the road. So that's going to do it for us this week here. Catch us on Twitter at Philadelphia PST. You can catch me on Twitter. I'd appreciate the follow at Jeffrey underscore Warren can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search us out, Philadelphia Sports Table. Subscribe, hit that bell. Every time we upload a video, you will be notified of it. You can also uh, follow us on Instagram. We'd appreciate that. And of course, you can like our Facebook page. You can also head over to tpublic.com and check out some of the designs we have up there. We are going to be getting some new designs up soon. I know I've said that in the past. That hasn't necessarily happened yet, of course, but those new designs are coming for sure. We do have designs, uh, including the show's logo, a couple other ones as well. We've got a great uh, Wentz is greater than Prescott shirt. The math is really easy. It's a great shirt. So again, tpublic.com, search Philadelphia Sports Table, get yourself a t-shirt, get yourself a coffee mug, get yourself a pillow. I actually have a couple of them. They're very comfortable. So uh, anyway, that's going to do it for us this week here. Take care and I'll catch you next time. 